Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. All right, cool. Um, got another Q&A today. Um, anything new? No, man. I was, it's funny because I was sitting here and I was like, what's some like starting banter mm-hmm. I can create? I, I actually enjoy like just talking shop or just bullshitting before the podcast actually starts. Yeah. And it's funny because I listen to some <laughs> Q&As from fitness professionals and I really enjoy that part. And then sometimes I skip through the questions because I'm like, I already know about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like kind of defeats the purpose of what we're actually listening for. But um, nothing crazy, man. Um, me and uh, Jordan Syed were talking about this yesterday and we were, we talked about it a long time ago and we keep toying with the idea, but COVID kind of threw us for a loop. So hopefully when this ends, we can plan it, but we're talking about doing a seminar together. So hopefully that will be, because I had a couple people ask questions like, when are you going to do a seminar again? And it's kind of like, well, can whenever we can. Yeah. Um, so we're going back and forth of like, should we do it here? host it here or should we like meet in the middle because he's in new york um you know what i mean we can meet in the middle like texas or austin colorado something like that yeah. some somewhat central yeah i feel like the only cool places to do an event between new york and washington would be either colorado or texas yeah austin because you're yeah. not gonna go to like missouri or anything no yeah. <laughs> i've been to missouri and it's it's just nothing yeah <laughs> but yeah there's monster crickets there dude yeah. it's just crazy but um yeah, nothing else, man. That's uh, that's the update on that. Um, charity shirts are almost done. We had to, we had them send us samples because we wanted to test the material, test like make sure we see the logo in our hands. You know that the new design and the the quote we have on the back uh, for the first round of charity shirts, and they shipped it. They shipped it to us, and we were watching the tracking, and FedEx redirected. Sent hmm. it to somebody in Milton, and a guy named Bob signed for it. So our shirts are gone. What? <laughs> so we're like, what the fuck? So then we called them, and they were like, oh, you didn't get it? So they're sending us new ones. So now we're like waiting because we need to get that up Whoa. soon. Because my birthday is next week. Yeah. We were going to launch it on my birthday. 24th? Yeah. So hopefully we still launch it then. If not, it'll be like August 1st or whatever. Um, so we're pushing it. I don't. At the end of the day, I don't really care when we launch it. It's yeah. just ASAP. My birthday was just an excuse to do something cool on my birthday. For sure. You know? Um, but I'm excited about that. And then we got a, uh, we got a designer on board to help us with, uh, like cool different logos, like even kind of like the Seinfeld one I did, you know, where oh, it yeah, said yeah, boom, yeah. boom, but like yeah. tailored yeah. or like, I thought about like the friends logo, but something along the lines of tailored or whatever. For sure. Um, the just hard part with that accent on the TCM. Yeah. Yeah. And just cool little, little things. Like I wanted to do the Metallica logo and, and, but do it tailored. The problem is, is there's a lot of weird copywriting issues Hmm. and trademark issues. So like you can get sued like for stealing somebody's logo and Metallica is probably the worst people to do it. Do you know who Metallica is? (laughs) Yes. Okay. I'm just making sure. Yeah. (laughs) They went through a huge lawsuit with, I want to say at the time it was, um, what was that one company? It wasn't Kaza. Uh, they did like all the free music. Yeah. Kaza or LimeWire or 
it wasn't LimeWire. I think you actually Napster. I, Napster. Yeah. That was the one. I'm pretty sure they had like a multi million dollar lawsuit yeah. with them because they were taking their music. Rap and, City. Yeah, they were one of the or maybe. No, I think it was Napster. The, Metallica was like one of the number one artists, though, that like tried to like fight back against LimeWire, Kaza, all those things yeah. for taking their music. That's why you couldn't even get their music on. Uh, like Jay Z just finally went on Spotify, yeah. uh, but some artists will like hold out. You know what I mean? But um, they're probably not the people you want to steal a logo from. So we gotta <laughs> we gotta look at like all the details of like. That's crazy. Can we like mimic it a little bit? Like I, I know like with the Seinfeld. How one, close can we go? Yeah, we yeah. changed things with the Seinfeld one enough to where there's no issue, but I mean, you could tell it's Seinfeld. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, what was that magazine you got yesterday? I didn't actually get it. I was oh. just, <laughs> I was walking with Blakely to the cash register and I saw it and I was like, just grabbed it. It was, it, it was called, uh, it was some, and it was like entertainment, I think is the magazine, yeah. but it was a Seinfeld edition. The whole magazine was Seinfeld. Whole thing. You didn't buy it? I didn't buy it. Oh. No. I mean, I don't read magazines. Oh. Like I'm just gonna sit there. I actually got an, a cool idea for. Oh, you just put it on your coffee table or something. I would. Shannon would not have that. That doesn't go with her decor. You know how she is. She's very. You get zero say. You can't put a Seinfeld magazine no, on. No. The the. <laughs> I can, I could put that in my office, but on the coffee table downstairs, she would have that shit gone in a second. She is very specific with her decor. You know this. Yeah, I do. And and I, at, at a certain point, I just had to go, you know what? It's not a battle I want to fight. I, I have things understood. that, you know what I mean? I have yeah. things that I really enjoy that she doesn't understand. It's like, let me do this. You yeah. can do whatever you want with the house. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something about, wasn't about Seinfeld either. I'm not sure. I can't remember. We were talking about banter with the fitness professional podcast and then. Yeah. Oh, the t-shirts. Yeah, we. I mean, birthday. We, I feel like we always got a lot of cool shit going on, it's, yeah. but it's hard to say, like, which one to talk. Oh, I had a cool idea for a content. That's because of the magazine. Oh, and the logo. Uh, So I was, like, looking, and I couldn't find one. When, when I first started training, I would just get muscle magazines. Yeah. And there was, like, Flex Magazine. There was uh, Men's Fitness, obviously. But some of the more bodybuilding-like ones where there was just, like, juiced out jack dudes on the cover and you just go through and you could read their programming you could read their supplement advice see all this like bullshit that was in there that they were trying to sell you i believed it at the time because i was 19 years old and naive but i was like i, I want to find one of these and we could do a video where i oh like i have like the the magazine on camera and i'm yeah. like let's dispel some myths yeah and be like this is bullshit this is marketing don't look you know what i mean and like pick it apart um kind of calling out like that yeah. like high multi-level marketing style but i couldn't find a fucking magazine i was like man maybe they're not around anymore because of so much information being released online and people learning so much about what really works that those magazines are just gone i doubt that but i bet you they're electronical yeah they probably are (laughs) mensfitness.com well men's fitness is definitely still around but like and so is Flex, but maybe they're just not doing printed magazines anymore, you know? And yeah. it's easier. I wanted to be able to, like, flip through it. Because yeah. the magazine section was smaller, but I, I looked at both Target and Walmart. Yeah. I was at both those stores yesterday looking for a kiddie pool. Couldn't find one. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. Target? Yeah, Target was completely so, – like, we walked Sold in. Out. Dude, all the summer stuff just pff, gone. Damn. There was, like, a water gun left. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was, like, nothing. Wow. And it's – super hot so we're trying to get some stuff for the backyard for you know where you can get one amazon Amazon. that's exactly what i said <laughs> i walked all the way through walmart and i told you i was like i hate walmart 
Yeah. I She's like, do you want me to go in? I was like, no, I want you to go in even less because I hate it so much. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll do it. And I go in and I came out and I was like, why don't you just order on Amazon? She's like, oh, yeah, I can look. It's like, God. We ordered everything on Amazon. Yeah. Next, I got Next day. I got uh, $750 worth of Amazon gift cards. When? I have protein for life right now. <laughs> I just got them. It's because uh, – so I uh, – people get Bank of America. It's a great bank. I've been uh, racking up points that I was unaware of racking up, not like my miles like on a credit card, but like the, the business debit card just racks up points over time. And I was like, oh, whoa. I didn't even know I get points. I clicked it, and it was like, how do you want to use these points? And I was like – Amazon and it was like if you use half your points you can get and it was like seven hundred and fifty dollars. I was like, Oh my god. Whoa. <laughs> That's sick. Yeah. So I just like loaded it on the Amazon card and I was like, Shannon, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> For a while. Don't blow it, but like let's just everything we need, because we always order from Amazon. Yeah. Fucking sprinkler, yard stuff, ketchup. I get ketchup from there. Not kitty pools though. Not kitty pools. <laughs> That's the only Unbelievable. thing. Unbelievable. <laughs> I can't believe you went to Walmart before thinking of Amazon. Especially knowing we had seven hundred fifty dollars worth. Yeah. And and knowing that I will never step foot in Walmart <laughs> unless like it's a crisis or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you kind of have to sometimes. Yeah. All right. Let's let's get into the. Q&A. I won't buy food from. Yeah. Walmart. I will buy other things because some things like I went and got um, tattoo numbing cream. It's not really for tattooing, but it's like, I mean, it's like icy hot, but yeah. it doesn't burn your skin. It just numbs your skin for to like make pain easier. Yeah. Walmart was the only place that sold it. Yeah, some, gotta, dude. So you, sometimes Walmart has the only is the, the only place that has. You got to do it. Yeah, but Shugu. Yeah, I, they're not like the only place that ha- uh, carries it, but they the only one in Puyallup that had it. Yeah, I was like, wow. Yeah. You ready? Yep. Let's do it. All right. All right. So the first question comes from Kaylee Montoya Huston. Could you go in into depth on the research on depression caused by supplementing with BCAs while intaking a high protein diet? What is considered high protein, and how many grams BCAs? Is that a is there a hyphen in her last name? Yeah, Montoya. Okay. Um, I was just curious. Yeah, this this one's interesting, and I I tagged Brandon our CSO in it because I wanted to get his opinion, and he uh, linked a study that I checked out, and I've heard of this before, but I didn't, I don't. To me, it's one of those things where it's like it's not real. It's a, it's not it's not something you need to worry about. It's like it's like artificial sweeteners. If you drink diet coke, you're you're consuming artificial sweeteners, and people are like, oh, artificial sweeteners have been shown to be bad for your gut or for your health or for whatever in studies. Hmm. But in the studies, they give a rat like two liters of coke. So if a rat is drinking two liters of diet coke, that's like you drinking seven two liters yeah or like a whole ca- nobody does that nobody yeah. drinks 18 cans of diet coke you know what i mean and that's the only point where artificial sweeteners start to really cause issues and i think this is the same way they found there's there was so the study brandon linked um it showed being too depleted i want to say or or bcas were a biomarker for mental health and depression so you could kind of uh, almost predict or determine what your mental health or your depression side effects could be based on how many, many BCAs you have running through your bloodstream from yeah. protein or supplementation or just from your body creating them. Um, but there was another study I checked out that showed um, essentially overdosing on BCA. So almost like overconsuming BCAs can trigger uh, an unbalance between, I want to say it was uh, tryptophan and lysine. 
two different amino acids. I know tryptophan was one of them. Um, and tryptophan is one of the precursors in our brain that uh, helps produce serotonin to like feel good, relax. Like you ever hear the saying about like turkey when you eat turkey on Thanksgiving yep, yep. and oh, you yeah. get that feeling tryptophan. afterwards? Yep. Tryptophan high. Yep. It's because tryptophan's high in protein foods. You eat a ton of turkey, you get that feeling, right? Um, but too much uh, of uh, the amino acids, which are isolated, can cause a, a imbalance of tryptophan. And I want to say, it might have been isolating. There's three BC uh, amino acids that it did it with. Um, I know tryptophan was one of them. But if we have an unbalance in those amino acids and those precursors for serotonin um, and potentially dopamine, which is another mood balancing uh, uh, neurotransmitter in our body, then we could have potential depression. For sure. So is there a link? 100%. However, they did like, I don't remember what the dosage was, but it was like astronomically high, like so much that you would be running through a tub of BCAs like by the week, I think. Like it's just too, like so much that it's not like if you take a serving of BCAs pre-workout, you'll be fine. Granted, if you're eating enough protein, you don't need that either. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've even done studies with like two grams per pound body weight in protein. And they've done tons of studies at like 1.2 to 1.5 grams per pound of body weight, which are all on the higher range of protein. And none of them cause any issues uh, with anything, mental health, depression, kidney function, anything like that. Um, I think a lot of people look at high protein diets as if there is an issue, right? There is going to cause some issues, uh, be that health. There's even been rooms like cancer, just like crazy shit. None of those have been proven whatsoever. And, and from what I can tell, the only study that shows BCAs could contribute to depression is at a level that you're not going to consume. Hmm. Like it's just – and way eat, too much. It's way too much. Yeah. You would have to be eating enough protein and taking multiple scoops of BCAs a day. And you know what else? I remember <laughs> – this is so crazy. I remember running through BCAs like crazy because back in the day, uh, muscle protein synthesis spikes when we eat protein, right? Or when we have yeah. amino acids. Muscle protein synthesis leads to muscle growth. So – Naturally, you think the more you can spike that, the more you will grow, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and they had to do studies showing that like, no, it really doesn't matter. There's kind of like a threshold that once you meet that, there's no extra benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we used to, I did this, I remember like some of the guys at the gym did this. We'd have a gallon of water and we'd just dump hella BCAs in it and you just have to finish it by the end of the day. So like you'd have like multiple scoops of BCAs in a big gallon jug of water and between meals, you're drinking the BCAs. That way you're just constantly fucking spiking muscle protein synthesis. Complete bullshit. Didn't work at all. Um, and I was fine. I was actually in the most positive move of my life. I was young. I was happy. <laughs> like, there was no depressive side effects from that. Um, so so I really don't think it's something that people actually have to worry about just because you'd be consuming so much. Like I said, it was in a research setting and they purposely like overfed people BCAs to see what the result would be. Yeah. Nobody's playing around with that. Yeah. So. Let's see if we can get you depressed. Exactly. Hmm. All right. Um, next one comes from Adrian Frank Ling. How important are hit Metcon fi- finishers? Since quarantine, my pre-score gives me about fi- 45 minutes to lift. Then he is done. It has been hard to get the wad in at the end. We Will extra neat movement make, make up for the lack? Should I cut back on some macros? So... I'm assuming she means the wad at the end as like the metabolic side of things. So she, if, if she's doing like a classic like functional fitness or CrossFit program, it's probably like she goes in, warms up, does like a couple compound lifts. So maybe she does some cleans and some back squats and yeah. then she goes into a Metcon, which is going to be 20-minute AMRAP of whatever. Yep. Um, 
I think I think these are two completely separate programs, or I mean, two completely separate like questions or problems that I would solve. So like the first one would be, if you don't have enough time to follow the program you're doing, you're doing the wrong program, right? It, it, it's it's what is it saying? Trying to fit a uh, square peg through a round hole, or is it a round peg through a square hole? Never heard of it. You never heard of it? No. Like okay, so it's like but using I, mean, I get the concept. using a nail for a screw. Yes, you know what I mean. Yep. Um, but if so if, I, if I'm programming for you and I'm like, okay, the perfect program for you to do is five days a week. You're going to just be in the gym for an hour and a half, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I physically can't be in the gym for that long or that many days a week. And I go, well, figure it out. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. Instead, I'm going to be like, okay, how many days? Four. Okay, cool. How long do you have? Hour. Okay. How can we trim this up? How can we make this different? Maybe you do two days of strength training and two days of Metcons. Yeah. Right? So when you go in, you don't miss the WAD, the quote unquote WAD, which is just the metabolic work. You're doing that in an isolated fashion. You spend an hour in the gym just doing that. The other days you spend time just doing your compounds and just building strength. So that, but that's a completely separate program or question from how important are finishers and Metcons, right? So for your question, in your case, they're probably pretty damn important because I'm assuming it's a big bulk of the program. Yeah. So if it'd be different to say like, you know, like me and CJ will do finishers after our workouts and I'll go randomly just be like, all right, we're going to push sled or we're going to do battle ropes or we're going to do like a, a drop set curl, just burn out our arms. We don't need to do that. If we don't have time, we just go home. But if we have time to kill and I'm like, fuck it, let's push ourselves. We'll just do a random finisher. Mm -hmm. Those kind of finishers are not that important. They can be fun. They can be mentally challenging. They can add a little volume. It's cool. Uh, maybe get your heart rate up. If, if you want fat loss, it might be beneficial to do some hit finishers at the end. But at the end of the day, I think they're they're not as important as the bulk of the program. Yeah. And if you're not able to finish your program, you're on the wrong program, right? And I think good point. Yeah. So I think honestly, I think it's it's not. I mean, you're probably doing the more important stuff by doing the strength stuff first. But then again, if if you're if you're like my main goal is fat loss, I'd be like, well, the metcons are just as important as the strength work because you yeah. don't care about building strength. Yeah. You just want to lose fat. So, kind of depends. But um, my number one piece of advice is get a new program. Like your program should match your lifestyle, your uh, what you enjoy doing in the gym, and how long you can be in there for consistently. That's just perfect. it. Perfect. I think even if you look at the scientific stuff, like the the pyramid of importance and all these different things, everybody will say it doesn't matter if you can't adhere to it. Yeah. So the most science based program is great, but if you literally can't follow it, it's What's useless. Yeah. All right. So the next question comes from Brant, Brant, Bermun, Bermudez from. Bermudez. The Bermuda Triangle. Yep. In your podcast about programming, you said it's much more common for people to be under-recovered versus overtrained. What is the psych psychological difference between these two states, and how does it affect their training? You know what the Bermuda Triangle is, right? No. You never heard of the Bermuda? I mean, yes, I've heard, but I can't think of what it is. So it's like this uh, – it's a triangle, geographically speaking, in the middle of nowhere. Like I think it's – just below Cuba or something like that. Like it's just like in the oh. ocean, right? But these different boats and planes and all these things traveling through there have just disappeared. Oh. So literally like there, there'll be a plane going through that area yeah. and it's literally gone. Nowhere to be found. Everybody's gone, disappeared, no explanation. They can't find the plane, nothing. Literally. So the Bermuda Triangle is kind of like the black hole yeah. in the universe. It's yeah. just like what goes on down there. And yeah. it's in a like pretty like, I mean, rural is not the right word. Uh, remote area that no like people don't go like there. Look, yeah <laughs> there's some stuff you can find like documentaries on like history channel stuff where you can like look at it it's fucking trippy man yeah. malaysia airlines 
maybe have you seen that show uh manifest no. it's like that they fucking <laughs> they're flying home and the the plane disappears and then but to them it's like just turbulence and then they land and everybody's like in shock because it's five years later yeah like they went through something like the Bermuda triangle <laughs> and the plane was missed is dude it's, it's kind of sounds stupid but yeah. it, it's actually pretty sounds, good what's it called manifest all right it's good but this is a good question though basically what's the difference between under recovery and overtraining um overtraining is actually a clinical like issue it's a clinical thing that somebody um gets diagnosed with yeah overtraining how do i put this overtraining literally like it, it almost like fries your nervous system. It gets you to a point where your adrenals really like are so taxed that you can't produce energy. You can't produce adrenaline. You, um, your body starts shutting down, your mood changes, you have depressive symptoms. Um, I've known people who have gotten, I've known one person who has ever gotten legit uh, overtraining syndrome. And it was from, uh, training their ass off to become a trainer. And like, so they're doing all these different methods and training hard all the time. And they were playing college ball. So it's mm. like this accumulation of things and not really eating enough. And they couldn't even get out of bed. Like they literally could barely walk. It was to the point where their body just shuts down. And it's like, you're staying the fuck down. You're staying put until you recover. So overtraining syndrome is something that you would actually literally be maybe hospitalized for. It's like legit, like an issue that's where a lot of people don't understand how serious it is. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm probably overtrained right now because they're under It's like, no, you're just under recovering. Yeah. Right. Under recovering is like, yeah, your joints hurt. Your nervous system's a little run down. Your muscles are sore. That's normal. That's normal, especially if you're, if you're peaking your program properly. Like uh, an example of like some of the programs inside the Taylor Trainer, what I do is your RIR inc- decreases as the weeks go on. So you might have eight reps, but you're leaving three in the tank, then two in the tank then one in the tank, and then nothing in the tank. So as the weeks go on, you're going harder and harder until you go to absolute failure, then you deload. There you go. Right? When you get into deload week, you are under-recovered. You kind of feel like shit, but you're like, it's an easy week, just go through the motions, and then you feel better the next week. Um, there's also a difference too because overtraining, you literally have to do so much work to get to that point um, that a lot of people won't even get that far. They're under-recovering because they're under-eating. So if you're doing... If you're doing my program that I'm doing right now, but you're in a deficit, you would probably suffer from under recovery because the program I'm doing, it's for a surplus. It's for a surplus. Like yeah. I'm doing a lot of volume, right? And heavy loads, but I can handle that because I'm eating a ton of calories. So for somebody who is in a deficit, they might not be able to handle that much volume. They're probably going to be under recovered, yeah. right? It doesn't mean they're overtrained. They're like bedridden. It just means that they don't have enough fuel coming in or sleep happening in order to recover from the training. For sure. So, um, two completely different things. Under recovery is extremely common. Overtraining is extremely rare. Um, like I said, I've seen it once and I didn't even see it. I just heard about it. Like somebody told me about their experience years ago. Um, other than that, I've never seen it actually happen. Yeah. So I think, and I've heard like, even like scientists talk about this, researchers talk about this, like, yeah, overtraining is, is something so extreme that you're probably never going to see that. Yeah. I've been, you said under recovery is, uh, common. Yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, anybody who's feeling run down or like doesn't properly periodize their programming or their diet or just deload, they're probably going to suffer some under recovery at some point. And I've, I've even gotten to the point where like being irritable and moody and like unmotivated and, and that was a sign of under recovery. Right. But I pulled back yeah. at that point because I knew those are symptoms of like, I am not recovering for what I'm trying to do. Right. Yeah. Enough. But yeah. if I was overtrained, 
I wouldn't even have the energy to get up and walk to the gym. Yeah. Like you just can't. Hmm. So interesting. Never heard of that. All right, cool. The next question is from Emma Becerra. Uh How would you set bulking macros for an underweight female lifter? More aggressive at the beginning and the, then more into a lean gain phase once healthy weight is restored? For an underweight lifter? Correct. An underweight female lifter. How would I probably define underweight? Yeah, it kind of depends. Um because I think there's, you know, there's there's petite women who aren't uh, underweight. Yeah. You know, petite would just be like you're just lighter. You're a smaller female and then like underweight is like you actually need to gain fat because you're literally – you're underweight. Like you're not in a healthy position. So I think that um, for most the time I'm probably going to – it kind of depends on how much volume you're doing too, but I would say the first move I'm going to make is make sure you're getting enough fats and protein. Those are the two essential nutrients. If you're not getting enough fats and protein, we know from a health standpoint that you're not going to thrive. You're not going to continue doing well. And if you're already underweight, you're probably disturbing health, blood markers, uh, cardiovascular system, immune function, hormonal function. So before we worry about building muscle or anything, like let's focus on that. And I'm probably going to bring your fats up to at least half your body weight. Um, if you're a light female, half your body weight, isn't that crazy? You know, like, uh, if you're 120 pounds at 60 grams fat, it's not that crazy. Um, that's a low fat diet for somebody like me, which is what I follow. But for a female, I tend to find that higher fat intakes work better. Um, because our hormones are more sensitive, I think. And, uh, guys just have more muscle tissue on their body. They can tolerate more carbs typically. Um, but I would go half your body weight that, and I would probably go like 1.5, grams per pound of body weight, which is pretty damn high for, for protein. Okay. But if you are a hundred to 120 pounds, it's really not that much. You know, you're anywhere between 120 to 160 grams of protein, which, you know, like if I were to eat 1.5 grams, it's quite a bit because yeah. I'm heavier, but for somebody like that, it's really not that so much. Be a lot of protein. Yeah. And, and for somebody like this, that's, a, that's lighter weight. She can give us her weight, but within your surplus, how much are you at one, uh, two Oh five. Which no, is like, I mean, yeah, it's 1.1 1. 1. 1 or 1.2 grams per pound. Gotcha. So, and and when you're gaining you're, size. You're like 165, 170? Uh, 178, son. 78. Don't take anything I thought you said me. your goal was 175. Uh, my goal is 175 shredded. Oh, yeah. Which means I got to get to like 185 and then cut fat yeah. to get to 175. Ah. That's like ultimate goal. That'll ah. be like in a couple years. Because ah. that's like. I mean, I did a, I did a test where you can like put in all these calculations. You you, like basically measure your wrist, you put in your age, all this stuff. And it tells you like how much muscle can you naturally build? Right. Um, and, uh, it's said 195 pounds with full visible abs at like 10% body fat. And I was like, there's no way in hell. That's another 17 pounds for me to gain and being leaner. Like, I can't do that without drugs. There's no way. <laughs> but um, so for this person, though, like uh, I think 1.5 is a good good shot because as you increase carbs, and this is why mine's above protein, uh, my body weight too, even though I don't need it, it's because as you add more carbs and diet, which you would be doing if you're trying to gain, you're going to be getting carbs from oats and potatoes and broccoli and things that really aren't conducive to muscle growth. They're just trace proteins. Yeah. I would rather make sure you're getting a gram per pound of a good high-quality protein and then that like 0.25 to 0.5 extra is like 
protein from veggies or oats or nut butter and shit like that. That's really not that productive, but it's still protein. Yeah. Um, and you're going to be more satiated. Your thermic effect is going to be higher. So you're probably going to burn more calories on a daily basis with higher protein too. But, um, I would basically, that would be my first adjustment, bump protein up, bump fats up. And then from there, I would just slowly add carbs until we're basically at the point where you're gaining at a good rate. So for a female, I like them gaining sometimes just like a pound a month, which is very slow because if your scale goes up a quarter of a pound a week, it's like you can barely even tell, right? But females won't gain as much muscle as fast as men and they are more cautious about gaining fat. Whereas like a guy is usually like, eh, I'll put on a little fat if I can build more muscle. Yeah. It's fine. I'll cut it off later. Women don't want to like, like they don't want to risk that. So for them, I like to go a little bit slower. Um, and it's just, it's your body can only put on so much muscle at a time. You know, like me eating more food than I am right now isn't going to make me build more muscle faster because training builds muscle. Yeah. It's just going to make me fat. It's literally just a case of like, all right, we just got to spend more time. Like it was something I was talking to, uh, it's actually on the podcast with Jordan yesterday. Um, cause he was asking what I'm doing right now. And it's literally just doing the same thing until it stops working. And some people get too bored with that, but sometimes it means doing the same shit for months on end yeah. because if it's working, and it's giving you to your goal, keep going. Eight, you know what I mean? 10, 12, 16 weeks. Doesn't matter. And yeah. the only way I, I I like adjusting things more frequently because most people get bored. So you have to be methodical with how you adjust. But if you're only like for me, it was like, well, I'll do anything to build muscle. You tell me to do the same thing performance, I'll do the same thing. I don't give a shit. Like right now, the only goal is to build muscle. Like I have fun training no matter what. So I don't need you to tweak things all the time. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we did. It's like I think we had 16 weeks of the last program without changing a damn thing. Like, I think I changed from a chin-up to a pull-up at one point <laughs> just to switch my grip, but nothing else. But at, but at the end of the day, even you or anybody that can train for months on end with the same program are going to get tired of it. Oh, 100%. I mean. At 16 weeks, I was definitely tired of it. Yeah. Um, but my de- my God. desire to build muscle was stronger than – my desire to change things. Yeah. You know, I wasn't that bored. Um, but like, I will say like once we hit 16 weeks, I was like, yeah, I need to change and it felt good. You know what I mean? Then it was getting back to having fun. But, um, my advice for you is gear, gear training more towards hypertrophy, lower cardio, get your fats and proteins in check, and then just slowly increase carbs until you're gaining at a steady rate. Yeah. That's it. Do you think, uh, you'll do this when you changed after 16 weeks? Do you think you'll do the, this next one for 16 weeks? Probably not. Um, and the reason I say that is because I went before starting that program with Eric, I don't feel like I was super dialed in or consistent. Yeah. Like I was so focused on the team, the business, my family that I was just getting in the gym and getting stuff done. So I was like kind of bouncing around programs. I was only lifting four days a week. I was doing enough to maintain, but I wasn't really dialing in. So when we first switched, I made a lot of quick progress. Like my weight gained quick progressive overload was jumping through the roof. Cause it was like, all right, this is the first time probably over a year that I've like dedicated a lot of energy to being super dialed in with nutrient timing, my calories, hitting my training every day and tracking every weight I lift. Um, but I kind of used out those new begins, I think, yeah. um, kind of like re new, new begins. Cause obviously I've been training a long time. So in this program, I can already tell that the progressions aren't going as fast. So we're probably going to have to change things up sooner. Yeah. That's typically how it is. If I get somebody that's new that wants to like really put on some size, the first program is probably going to be a, a, a while because a longer, I want to just one. really create that base. Yeah. But Love it.
All right, next question is from James Ward. Uh, so this is specific to my own issues. How do you approach balancing a high-protein diet while maintaining gut health? When I try to consistently hit above 0.8 grams per pound per day, I can only handle it so long before my gut gets wrecked and then have to completely back off. feels like every time I try to bump protein to, to cut, I hit a wall and can't get over the hump. Um... It's hard to say. I mean, sometimes it's the type of protein. Mm -hmm. So if I look at your diet and I see whey protein and Greek yogurt and cottage cheese, I'll be like, okay, let's cut out all dairy and see if meat does it. Nine times out of ten, doing just meat and fish never harms anybody's gut. Mm. Granted, it sucks having meat or fish for every single meal. Yeah. But for somebody like this, I would do it to test it out. Does this work? Okay, cool. Now let's try egg whites. Egg whites buggy? Okay, stop those. Try Greek yogurt. Is that buggy? Okay, stop those. You know, that's, I mean, people do carnivore diet. They just eat meat all day, every day, which to me I would never do. But um, if eating meat or fish for every meal allowed you to remove the gut gut issue and have better results in your body, I think it's worth it. What, um, what do you mean by, I mean, I know what the carnivore diet is, but they don't eat carbs. They don't eat veggies. They just eat meat. It's a 100% meat. Oh. Yeah. It's literally, they eat like ribeye, bacon, and... It's like almost all red meat too. It's like literally all just steak all day. For, but no, no veggies. <laughs> no veggies. Wow. Damn. Yeah. That's wild. But see, so I so even know, I didn't even couldn't comprehend that. So this is why stuff like that is so bad because it will come out and people don't know better. So yeah. they see the carnivore diet. Oh, this guy lost thirty pounds. I'll yeah. do it. Like it must be healthy. Yeah. You don't know anything about nutrition. Yeah. It's not healthy. Like. Granted, if you're going to do the carnivore diet, you should eat primarily red meat because red meat is more nutritious. There's going to be more vitamins and minerals inside of it, but you're going to be deficient in vitamin C. You're going to be deficient in um, probably fiber, but for some reason with protein, you, you use so much of it that you – like from what I've heard for people who do carnivore diet, you barely shit. So – and there's nothing – they're totally fine. And yeah. a, lot of them do, a lot of them have gotten rid of cardiovascular issues, cholesterol issues – um, like gut health issues. So to an extent, sometimes it works, but yeah. I think the problem is, is people think like, Oh, it's, it's the all meat diet that does it. It's like, no, when you just consume meat, you eliminate gluten, yeah. dairy, nuts, soy, beans, all the things that are commonly causing allergies with people. So if anything, you go to the carnivore diet for a week or two, Get rid of the issue, and then you add one thing in at a time to find out what it is. And you might go eggs, totally fine. Butter, totally fine. Dairy, totally fine. Um, gluten, totally fine. Then you add beans, and it's legumes. Beans are a big family. Peanuts, green beans, black beans, pinto beans, all those different beans. Whoa. Lentils, those are all in that legume yeah. family. So the, that, it might just be that. Yeah. And you just need to cut out that, not just eat meat. You know what I mean? But um, And for a lot of people that lose a lot of weight on it, protein has a higher thermic effect food, so they're burning more calories from eating. Um, they're getting uh, enough protein to where they're basically just using it for systems in their body. You can't really store fat as, uh, protein as fat. It's damn near impossible. Um, and they, I guarantee they go into a calorie deficit because they're removing all these foods. Yeah. It'd be hard to have a surplus in just meat. Joe Rogan did it. Yeah. He, he documented the process. He talked about it. Um, what, being in a surplus on meat? No, just, just doing the carnivore diet, oh, yeah. which he would be the guy to do it. I mean, yeah. he hunts and has all his yeah. meat in his freezer. But he, uh, he posted after like a week, and he was like, 
he was like, so far I've been doing the carnivore diet. I've stuck to 100% and it's been the most painful thing for my ass that I've ever had, experienced in my life. And he was talking about like explosive diarrhea. Like it was oh, just like, man. yeah, it was graphic Instagram post. It's hilarious. And, uh, and then like <laughs> a week later he was like, the, the diarrhea has subsided. It's been better. And I'm down 13 pounds. I actually feel really good. Yeah. Um, so he was saying like he actually felt great on it wow. after he got through that period of time. Yeah. But I think it just goes to show like this is why calories are really all that matter. Yeah. Which is funny because if you look at keto, keto can work. I don't like it, but it can work. Yeah. Why? Because if you have calories coming in, your body will find a way to use those calories. Your cal- if you're just consuming meat, your body will turn uh, protein into carbohydrates in the body, into glucose. It's called gluconeogenesis. So it's taking amino acids and it's converting it into glucose for fuel, right? When you're fasting, your body starts creating ketones out of your stored body fat, which turn into fuel. Yeah. So your body's smart as fuck. It's going to sure. figure out a way no matter what you do. So paleo, carnivore, keto, high carb, it doesn't matter. Like you consume, they did a study with obese individuals. All they consume was rice. That's it. It's the rice diet. Just rice. They've done this with potatoes too. Just potatoes. Same thing. Lost a ton of weight, had great health. Why? Because they had calories coming in. They actually were in a deficit, so they lost weight. Just goes to show you don't need anything special. Now, granted, if you want to optimize muscle and fat loss, you do need a good balance of protein and stuff like that. So um, when I say calories are all that matters, it means that like – if you take a study of obese sedentary individuals, uh-huh. you give them anything and put them in a deficit, they're going to lose weight. Yeah. Right. Um, it doesn't matter, gotta but, fuel them somehow, but gotta fuel them somehow. But yeah. for somebody like me or the clients we work with at, at tailored, you are going to need more protein. You are going to need a certain amount of carbs. You're going to need a, the minimal amount of fat for hormones, like so on and so forth. That's how you be optimal. So there's a difference between surviving and thriving. But, um, but yeah, dude, the, the carnivore diet's wild. Dude, I just, I can't comprehend getting up on, at 7.30 in the morning and say, yeah, I'm a, I want a flank steak. So <laughs> some of them eat eggs, like whole eggs. Oh. But you can't put veggies. You can't put anything in it. You can't okay. put cheese. So it's like just eggs, Yeah, well, which is weird. I mean, that's better than eating a ribeye at 7.30 in the morning. Yeah. I mean, some of them will do like uh, – I've seen the diets and it's like, okay, they have like uh, a couple hard-boiled eggs and a couple slices of bacon. And then for lunch, it's literally like a 12-ounce ribeye. And then for dinner, it's like a, a rack of ribs. Like it's literally just – no. And and most of the time too, if you think about it, well, if you're doing a carnivore diet, and you're not supposed to have any carbs or anything like that, then you probably shouldn't be having barbecue sauce. You probably shouldn't have any salsa on your eggs, like because those all have carbs. Those are mixed with veggies and all those things. You know what I mean? So, some people I'm like, are you really doing the carnivore diet? Yeah. And then other people I'm like, how the fuck do you eat meat without any condiments? Do yeah. you eat meat? Are you guys are you guys consuming no barbecue sauce? Because I couldn't do it. No. Gotcha. Give me some smoked ribs without any barbecue sauce. What? That's horrible. Crazy. All right, yeah, I'm done talking about that. That's wild, man. <laughs> it's fucking wild, dude. It was hey, like a more big pa- more power to you if it makes you feel better. It was a big deal for a while. Yeah. There's a guy named uh Dr. Sean Baker who is uh some kind of surgeon or something. He's like jacked and he is like one of the world wrecking record holders for rowing. So oh, like yeah. rower. Yeah. Um and uh we have a rower out there. Like oh, an actual oh. exercise rower. Oh. Yeah. And uh and he did the carnivore diet. He's one of the first ones that really popularized it. Oh. And he had like he did his testosterone test, his blood test, and everything improved. Oh, well, I'm sure. I don't doubt that. Yeah. Stuff. I just doubt the the attractive adhering to yeah. it. Is, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, all right, James. That was a good question. We got Val. Oh, I didn't even finish the, <laughs> the question because we started oh. talking about carnivore. Um, 
you can you can select the type of proteins. But then the other thing I was going to say is finding uh, like an enzyme supplement. So check out like uh, oh, uh, bio optimizers. They have uh, I love them. What D- digestive enzymes? Yeah. So bio optimizers is a cool brand. He's a I want to say the owner was a bodybuilder and he had gut health issues and he started doing stuff. So we're going to have him on the podcast, this, mm-hmm. the, the founder of the company. And he sent me a box full of this shit. So they have yeah. like a regular probiotic. They have a magnesium supplement that helps with your gut and sleep. They have a, uh, a probiotic that helps your mood and mindset in the morning. Like it's like basically like neurotransmitters to help mm-hmm. you thinking kind of like a nootropic. Yeah. And they have uh, what are called mass zymes. So it's kind of like enzymes for like building mass. It's kind of how they made the catchy name. But um, hmm. which is going to help you digest protein, fats, and carbs to build muscle, quote unquote, really just helps you with digestion absorption. But they have a bunch of different options. They have a they have one for like that's more specific to gluten, which I would have to double check the facts on that and like whether it's really that much different than a regular enzyme. But the point being is find a good enzyme. Mass zymes are great. Or you can just get a, a general brand of, uh, of digestive enzymes. That might actually be something that helps you quite a bit. Your body might just not be producing the enzymes um, needed like amylase, pro, I want to say it's prolase, uh, uh, is it prolactin? There's, there's a couple different enzymes that your body produces in order to break down these different macronutrients. And if your body's not producing them, you're not going to digest them very well. Yeah. Right. So check those out. All right. Uh, the next question is from Val leak. It says training to failure and when it, when it is appropriate. Training to failure is appropriate when you are, you know, you're going to be taking a deload next week. So you're at the peak of a program. So maybe you're on week four or five or how long your program is. And you know you got to go to failure before you deload. Um, you don't have to go to failure, but like you're you're at the peak of your program. You've been progressing and building intensity up, um, or you're doing something like a lateral raise, yeah. right? Like we'll do, like my we'll bench press on a body day. I'm not going to failure. I'm leaving like one in the tank, um, unless I'm testing my one rep max. Then I might go to failure. But when I do lateral raises, my third set of lateral raises, I'm absolutely going to take it to failure yeah. because I'm not going to systemically fatigue my body i'm not going to be crushed from that if i was in a big deficit i might not but even then i probably would still go to failure because my like repability would be so much lower than it is right now um but things like that you can almost always go to failure and i actually recommend most people do because most people don't know what true failure is like the amount of times i've had a bar on my back for squats and been like i literally only have one and left in tank do one more and i'm like i got another one do one more okay maybe i got one more and i'll crank out like five more reps right because your mind will quit before your muscles do mm-hmm. almost all the time. So a lot of people use RPE or reps in reserve incorrectly by accident, right? Because they don't understand what it takes to go to failure. So sometimes it's like, hey, you should go to failure because you're too new to understand what failure is. And if you don't know what failure is, you don't know your proximity to failure. So you can't leave two in the tank if you don't know what it's like to have none in the tank, right? That's that's your gauge. Yep. So um, and this is a feeling, it's a feeling of max intensity. It's a feeling of max effort. It's a feeling of going to failure. So I think if you've never gone to failure, go to failure on some stuff so you can see what your potential is safely, safely. And then you can gauge from there. Um, but otherwise usually failure is saved for accessory and isolation work. That is very low injury risk or low systemic fatiguing, mm-hmm. systemically fatiguing. And, uh, on a, on a, the final week of a program. Yeah. So usually for me, it's either on week three or week five for people. They're on a three-week program or a four-week program. 
week three is like their peak yeah. and then week four is deload. Um, sometimes it's actually uh, uh, week four would be their peak because week one is typically a deload. Yeah. Now that I think about it, because that's when you're like reintroducing new lifts. So week one's deload, then week two, three, four, you progress. So week four, you would be going to failure. Yeah. Or if you're on a six-week program, week five or six, you're going to failure, deload, restart. Yeah. So. Is there a difference between training to failure and maxing out? Yes. Um, I think training to failure applies more widely. Okay. Right? Maxing out is typically – broad spectrum. Yeah. Because okay. – Maxing out typically is like you're doing one rep, three rep, or five rep max, right? Like how many – like it's just your maximum load you can lift. Training to failure is doing reps until you fail. Okay. So okay. it's usually not going to be one. I mean technically if you max out and you only get one rep and that's all you can do, that I guess that's training to failure technically. Yeah. But usually when we're saying training to failure, we mean like, hey, here's – But the concepts are different. The concepts are different, yeah. 100%. The application of them. You're doing dumbbell bench press as many reps as you can until you fail. You know what I mean? That's, that's training, training to failure. That's training to failure. Yeah. yeah. And maxing out is one rep. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between like zero RIR, so zero reps in reserve, and failure because zero reps in reserve is still a completed rep, right? Like it's the most difficult rep and there's literally – it's humanly impossible for me to do one more rep because I left zero in the tank. But going to failure is not even finishing a rep. So if I'm doing push-ups and I get to bottom and I try to push up and I just fall on my chest, that's going to failure. If I finish my last rep and it's like shaking and I barely lock out my arms before I have to drop my knees, that's a zero RIR. Mm -hmm. I completed the rep, but I left a zero in the tank. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there's but a difference. You can't really max out. You can't max out on push-ups because there's no one rep max on push-ups. Yeah. I did one. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you could you can max out as many reps as possible, but that's more like training to failure. Bingo. Yeah. I was, but it really depends on the lift. Yeah. Because you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do you think that's answered? Yeah, I think it's a good answer. No. Uh, all right. So next question is going to come from Ash. I'm not going. I'm going to butcher the last name. Ashley Abenor. Abdenor. Here we go. Thoughts on lifting straps or grips when limited to using only dumbbells? I feel like I could go, I could go heavier on some moves if my grip uh, strength quit giving out before the muscle began. Wait, hold on. I feel like I could go heavier on some moves if my grip strength slash forearms quit giving out before the muscle being worked. Um, this is easy, easy one to answer. I, I'm I'm all for it. Yeah. I mean, to me, if you use straps, and yes, that's less challenging on your grip. So maybe you don't build as much forearm strength. Yeah. But you're able to lift heavier on your legs or your back or your arms or whatever then I'm all for it. I think use straps as often as you need in, to, in order to be able to lift as heavy as you can safely, plain and simple. And, and at the same time too, like when you have straps on, you still have to grip. So a lot of people's like, oh, you're not working your grip, but really you're actually working it more because you're going way heavier. So yes, you're helping yourself lift that heavy weight, but you're putting a heavier load in your hand. So yeah. you're still working your grip. Um, I, I'm all for it. I use, uh, I don't use straps too much because I just don't like how they feel, but I use chalk. Yeah. Same thing. You used to use straps. Yeah. I used to. Like the straps I have right now, I fucking hate. Like they slide with the bar. Yeah. So I'll start deadlifting and it's actually worse. Uh -huh. But um, but we have that chalk bowl. It's yeah. easy. Um, and same thing. Like I have a lot of female clients who wear gloves and stuff. I won't wear gloves because it's an ego thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> a guy, I'm just like, I can't do it. But um, But I have plenty of female clients that I recommend it to. Yeah. 
because I think it's helpful. If you can lift heavy, especially for women, if if your grip is a limiting factor and it's stopping you from building muscle across your body because of that, then you should definitely use them. I agree. All right, we got one more question here. Uh, it's from Rhiannon Healy. Finishing a seven-month build slash maintenance phase where I have reversed and finally got calories up to where they sh- should be over the over a decade of severe caloric restriction. Heading back into a diet in two weeks, and I wanted to know if you had three pieces of ad- three pieces of advice you could give to the, the population like me who are returning to a deficit after a long period of time of repairing their metabolism from chronic caloric restriction. What would those advice pieces be? That's a good one. That's a great question. Um, I think a couple people commented on that one. And said it was a great question. Good. Top three pieces of advice. All right. Um, let me think of what they are first. Top three pieces of advice. For people that are coming back from repairing. For, for people who have a history of dieting. Yep. And they repaired that and now they're coming back to dieting. Bingo. The first piece of advice I have for you is make sure you actually need to diet. Make sure you want to diet. Make sure it's not a mental thing. Make sure that you, you're not – Pulling the trigger too soon because I see this quite often. I see people who go through a diet. They reverse properly. They do quote-unquote repair. They feel better. Their biofeedback's better. They're healthier. And they jump into a diet too soon. Mm-hmm. They jump back into a diet because mentally they want to be leaner. They keep uh, – they're, they're mentally not in a good place. And they are so focused on the scale and body image that it keeps pulling them to diet. And they jump into a diet prematurely, gotcha. right? Like if somebody diets – chronically like if you're if you're dieting for a year straight and your body is just wrecked from it and you take three months off you're still gonna have some issues yeah take six months off and then maybe play with the idea um play with the idea of going back in yeah yeah. because it it can be hard i I just i see too many people jump into it too soon and they're doing it for the wrong reasons they're doing it because they're judging themselves and, and comparing themselves yeah i was gonna say you said for your first one you said uh make sure you need to Mm-hmm. But I mean, kind of goes the same thing. Make sure you need to, and make sure you, if you are going to, or you, or you come to the conclusion that you do need to, that you're doing it for the right reasons. Hundred yeah. percent, exactly. Yeah. Um, number two is going to be utilizing diet breaks. I think that we're we've talked quite a bit about this, so I'm not going to hammer on this one too hard. But we've realized that diet breaks may not be as crucial for hormonal health or physiological health, but they're definitely helpful for psychological help. Um, so mentally it's going to help you get through the diet better. And I also think that it's more than likely going to indirectly help your hormones. I really still do believe that even though a lot of the research is showing it's mainly psychology, uh, psychological, I think that if your body is that stressed out from past dieting, I think that even if it's not directly increasing leptin or ghrelin and speeding up your metabolism, I believe that it's going to lower stress during the diet. If you lower stress, be that f- psychological or physiological, you are going to be healthier, right? Cortisol is going to be lower. Your body is going to be hormonally in a better place as a byproduct. Mm -hmm. So although we can't directly indicate that this diet break is causing your hormones to improve, I think for somebody who has a highly stressed body, I absolutely think there's an indirect effect on stress hormones Mm. um, and potentially sex hormones and metabolic hormones to make that diet more effective and less, less, uh, Tragic is not the right word, but detrimental to the body. There you go. Um, and, I, and I think a good way to look at this too is like if you look at all the research studies, most of the people like I know the Matador study was on overweight sedentary men. So they're not really training. They're already overweight. They're just average Joes. If you're doing a study, you're probably not highly stressed. You probably don't have a ton of responsibilities because 
you're able to go to a lab every fucking yeah. day and do this test. So I'm like, hey, let's do a study on this with people who are extremely stressed out and have a really bad history with dieting. Would we still see that same cause and effect? I don't think so. Now, I can't determine that because we, we don't have a study to prove that. But that's why being an evidence-based coach means, okay, here's what the science tells me. Here's what my experience shows me. Why is that different than this? Yeah. And then having a conclusion for that and trusting my gut. Because I keep using diet breaks and they keep working well. Yeah. You know what I mean? doesn't mean that I'm – and I don't need to see like, oh, I'm increasing leptin and your metabolism is speeding up. I don't give a shit about that. Are you able to stick to the diet longer and are you less stressed out? Yes. Yeah. Good. It's winning. Um, and then the last one would be, uh, make the deficit more aggressive. There's again, no literature to support this, but I mean, there kind of is like, as we know, as we diet, metabolic adaptation happens. Adaptive thermogenesis is basically the process of your, your metabolism slowing down. So your maintenance intake will lower as you diet. I think that if that's the case, there's more than likely some residual, like previous side effects still happening. So if you repaired yourself, I still don't think your metabolism is going to be as healthy as it should be if you never dieted before, Yeah. right? And if that's the case, then that means your maintenance range is probably either larger and or lower than it once was, and therefore you probably have to take a bigger deficit mm -hmm. because there's nothing worse than repairing, getting ready, and finally getting back into a cut, and you make an adjustment, and it does nothing. So for a lot of people in that position who have dieted long in the past – when you do finally get to jump back into it, you need to make a huge cut. Like I'm talking 20 to 30% deficit, like big deficit because it needs to be notable enough that two things happen. One, you basically guarantee fat loss because that's a huge deficit. Yeah. And two, if you still don't see fat loss, it is a sure shot reason why you should not be dieting yet mm. because if that didn't work, something else is going on. Yeah. Right. So um, just to recap that, just like I think the top three Piece of, pieces of advice for anybody who it has gone through a, re, a recovery or a reverse diet, um, has repaired, quote unquote, their metabolism um, after years of dieting or long-term dieting, the, the three best things you can do is, number one, make sure that you are actually ready to diet and you want to do it for the right reason. Number two, take diet breaks because whether it's psychological or somewhat physiological, indirectly, they are probably going to help you get through the diet and get through it safer. And then number three is going to be uh, making sure that you take an, an aggressive enough approach with the diet so you know you're in a deficit because there's no way you can't lose at that number unless there's underlying things going on. Yeah. And then you at least know like, oh shit, something is actually wrong and I can go get that tested out. For sure. By a doctor. Yeah. You know? Dope. That's a really good question. Yeah. Great job. All right. Cool. We'll uh, see you guys next week. Talk to you next week. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of The Nutrition Hierarchy. 
This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.